Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the education and stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Visit brewerydb.com today and be the first to explore this all-new experience. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. Draft beer is the most profitable thing in, in almost every bar or restaurant. Today, the beer consumer is smarter technically than ever. Number one thing that, that continuously comes to light is just lack of maintenance. In this case, mostly line cleaning. It's a lot of fun to talk about ingredients and brewing. It's even more fun to talk about flavor and beer pairing. But you know what we just don't talk enough about? Everything in between. Yes, I'm talking about kegs and draft systems. If you've ever been stumped, confused, confounded, or frustrated by draft systems that never seem to work right, my next guest is here to make it all better. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe, and one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 107 of Good Beer Matters with Tom Gert, Technical Director of Micromatic. Well, today, um, as I just informed my next guest, uh, everyone is in love. Uh, anyone who's a beer professional, anyone who's a beer enthusiast is in love with the beer in our glass, uh, in that glass that's in our hand, and what to do with it after that beer gets in our hand. But I've noticed that there are a number of people, a number of establishments that kind of lose track of how that beer gets into their glass in the first place. And so today we're going to talk with uh, Tom Gert of Micromatic. Tom, thank you so much for coming on to uh, the Good Beer Matters podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Um, you know, legit, let's kick things off uh, properly. I mean, let's start with, um, tell us who you are and a little bit about uh, your background in beer. Yeah, so terrific. Yeah, so uh, again, my name is Tom Gert. Uh, my official title is Technical Director at Micromatic. Uh, coming up on now 32 years, I guess. Jeez, it'll give you some kind of an idea how old I am, I guess. <laughs> You're at least 33. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the thing that is uh, kind of different about me is uh, for most of those 33 years, uh, I also owned an installation and service business for draft beer. So mm. installed a lot of beer systems. Uh, I live in uh, Illinois, which is a state where the beer distributors cannot clean lines so i have oh. the line cleaning business as well so uh not only did i get to uh kind of steer micromatic in a technical direction but also uh got a chance evenings and weekends to play with all the stuff that that we worked on and, and developed over the years so 
yeah, I could really test it out on the on the public. So uh, it's good, I guess. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm just typing a little note while you're talking. But um, oh, so cool. you've been around beer for a very, very, very long time. Um, what do you make of you know, if if I'm doing my math right, uh, when you started, this whole micro uh, beer thing was pretty much in its infancy. Uh, what do you make of where we are today? Yeah, it's crazy, Jeremy. If you if you think about when I came into the industry, uh, uh, it was I mean, craft beer was such an outlier that, that really we didn't uh, pay it any mind, to be honest with you. But but today. Um, you know, I, I got to take my hat off to the craft brewing industry, and I, I guess the Brewers Association would be the driving force behind that, because I think today the beer consumer is is smarter technically than ever, uh, more aware of of things like line cleaning and that. Um, but as you mentioned, maybe not so much the back of the house what really has to happen, but but. Again, I, I think the Brewers Association has done a phenomenal job with trying to educate the the general public on you know beer quality, and um, I think that's really had a, a really good effect on uh, the quality of beer uh, that's being dispensed. So, I guess the simple answer to your question is the the beer I think today is far better than it's ever been. I'm talking about draft beer specifically, and and I think that craft beer is is partially responsible for that i would say uh, a, a large part of that is due to the popularity of craft beer and what the brewers association has done on the back end as far as education so. and i you know i i also would uh give kudos to the craft beer movement it, even um to put a little um pressure on the macro producers uh, uh who are looking into their old records and their old recipes for a pre-prohibition lager and a, you know, kind of like <laughs> stuff we used to brew long before prohibition came along and just wrecked everything. Um, uh, so even, even on the larger scale, things have gotten a little bit more interesting. I I'd have to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, the big brewers have, uh, I think that the, the small brewers put a lot of pressure on the big brewers as far as, you know, from a sales perspective, and and I think the the large brewers have responded very well. I mean, uh, you know, Anheuser Busch buying several craft breweries. I think they're up to, I, I don't know. I think the number's over thirty now. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Miller Coors, you know, like you said, digging out some of the old recipes and giving us a lot more variety. You know, at the faucet. And and let's face it, you know, from our standpoint, as far as micromatic goes, it's been an incredible thing. I mean, you know, when I came into the business a long time ago, a long time ago, if if you had six handles as a retailer, boy, you were you you had a lot of beer on draft. Right? Oh wow! Uh, and and you know, think about this, Jeremy. We during the craft beer boom, we're not seeing that obviously now, but you know, because of COVID. But during the craft beer boom, we were routinely designing systems that were 150, 200 faucets, yeah. 250 faucets. I mean, we. I think the biggest one in one place that we did was 350 faucets. Can you imagine that? I can't even. I, mean, I can't even imagine the logistics it would take to maintain that and maintain those lines. And oh gosh, that seems like such a diminishing return from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Wow. You're exactly right because uh, again, just on the lines of our conversation here, I mean, that's to me 
biggest issue and, and, and for sure the biggest issue for draft beer still to this day after 30 plus years in this business for me is still line cleaning i mean so to your point how do you you know how do you maintain 300 lines i mean it's it's crazy to even think about it well know? and the simple answer would be very carefully but we all know yeah. that the uh the uh, practical answer uh, probably includes the word neglect. Um, yes, and, yes, and and that's a that's a, that's a different conversation. Um, that maybe we'll dive into that a little bit later. But um, you, know, I want to talk more uh, or ask you to talk a little bit more about Micromatic. Um, you know, it, it's it's funny. I, I notice with a, a lot of the beer professionals that I have interacted with over the years, there's a lot of people who. Are really into the brewing of beer, in really into the ingredients of beer, really into the pairing of beer, and and wh- whatever that may be, uh, maybe maybe even the business of beer. But sure. I found that there are fewer people that I have interacted with. So it's a it's a very small subset and a very informal uh, um, a study that I've conducted. But there are fewer people who are really 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 into the engineering of the draft system. Um, and I found even fewer people who really understand and appreciate the the nuances of that uh, draft system. Um, but of course, that is your bread and butter. So, which is why you're on the podcast, um, parenthetically. But uh, but Micromatic is a name that constantly comes up to the surface when we do have the draft uh, conversation. Um, uh, tell me a little bit more about Micromatic. Yeah, so so Micromatic's been around since the '50s. Um, it, it's a Danish-owned company, um, and basically, um, where most brewers would know the name Micromatic was Micromatic uh, manufactures keg valves. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we have a huge percentage of the world market uh, share of keg valves. Um, it's millions and millions of keg valves. Um, Back in 2000, uh, a really smart guy in the U.S. Uh, decided that we should move in a different direction and, and establish a business that sold uh, cake to glass. So basically, every single part, not just to do with getting the cake or getting the beer in the cake, but everything from the cake to the glass. So in 2000, uh, we bought a couple of companies in the U.S., consolidated them into one business unit. Um, and here we are, what, since I guess 20 some years later, um, as you said, uh, a household name when you, when draft beer comes up, uh, most people associate that with Micromatic. So, uh, four distribution facilities in, in the U S strategically located so that we can deliver parts to every major metropolitan city within 24 hours. Typically, um, manufacturing in Florida, we, we have uh, really heavily invested in trying to produce goods here in the U.S. I know I said already we're a Danish-owned company, and we do still buy lots and lots of stuff from from the uh, Danish mothership in, in Europe. But we have really focused on uh, American-made products and trying to produce more and more uh, stuff here in the U.S. So um, it, it's a great business model, like you said, basically four stocked warehouses and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but in all four of those facilities across the country, we have a state-of-the-art training center where we train draft beer professionals 
on um, you know basics of draft beer all the way to advanced installation techniques. So. Mm. And, and that's where through my travels and and all the different um, roles that I've had in uh, in the beer business, um, it, it's just micromatic is just one of those things where it, it's become ubiquitous. I mean, when you're looking at um, faucets, if you're looking at regulators, if you're if you're looking at uh, uh, pumps and and uh, and um, you know any 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 type of draft infrastructure, more often than not, you're going to see the micromatic name and logo. Um, even the uh, regulator I have on my CO2 tank for my home brew system is is micromatic, and and so you guys are um, ubiquitous. You are the leaders. Um, I am familiar with your uh, your keg valves, also known as spears. Um, and just the innovations that you that uh, you all have made uh, to make that those uh, clearer, make those safer, more usable. Um, j- just as a quick aside, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the innovations that you guys have done uh, speaking to keg valves and specifically specifically how to make them safer as well? Yeah, so um, I can't really speak too much to that point, Jeremy. Unfortunately, it's a different division of our company that sells uh, the keg valves. Oh, that's fine. You can just make it up, and I totally believe you. <laughs> but um, – yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous about cake valves. That, that is a uh, that is a uh, different division of our company. But I know we we have engineered several things into uh, into the cake valves. Um, uh, from a safety standpoint, they do have uh, a blow off um, uh, part of the keg valve that basically, if the keg uh, is overpressurized, uh, it can relieve the pressure without blowing the valve out. Um, and then. Also, from a maintenance standpoint, there's some other other innovations that they've done. Um, some parts, some internal parts that um, we produce differently today than even a few years ago that make it much easier to clean the valve when it's in place in a keg. And then from a maintenance standpoint, we uh, one of the coolest things that, that they've done on that side is, uh, this is genius, is the gas valve is, um, if you look in the standard, uh, D style valve, which is what all American brewers use and most of the craft brewers use. Yeah. Um, there's a big black washer on top of that um, that keg valve, which has a looks like a big ball bearing in the center of it. Um, recently, what they've done is uh, begin to color code those um, keg valves, those gas valves are called, and uh, what that does is allows uh, brewers to be able to track what you're that that valve was installed or, or serviced, which is really cool. So let's say uh, the color for 2022 is, let's say, perhaps red. And then next year, on January 1st, we change that color to brown or whatever, so on and so forth. So from a maintenance standpoint, that's the number one issue. If you have any misalignment from either the keg going into a filling machine or the filling head going into the valve, it will tear that gasket and that creates some dispensing issues. So yeah. uh, it makes it very easy for, for brewers to be able to understand, you know, how long that valve has been in the keg. And, and I can't imagine uh, if I were a brewer, I, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm tired. Um, I don't have a lot of time because there's a lot of th- uh, things that need my attention and keg and spear maintenance 
is just one of those things that's constantly always going to be on my to-do list, but I'll get to it when I have a moment. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but without that color coding system, then that means I need to go through and inspect each and every one, um, for, let, let, let's say, uh, let's say just, you know, 60 seconds per keg, just for a round number. Um, and I've got a hundred kegs. I mean, think about the time, but if I, if I have that color coded spear at just a momentary glance, I can look, okay, I don't need to worry about that one. Um, unless there's a problem, but just, I, I that, that is the spear from this year. So we'll pass that on. Um, and I'm, I'm basically, uh, if I'm looking for the color blue from two years ago, uh, then I can basically just look for all the blue, pull all the blues aside, and then I can go through and and maintain my kegs as as needed. That that seems to me such a huge yeah. thing for brewers. Yeah, it, it's huge, and, and uh, for small brewers and big brewers alike, because the big brewers can actually program their filling machines uh, to kick those color coded kegs right out of the system before they ever go. You know to fill them so uh not only is it easy for easier for the small brewer but the big brewer as well so that's been a, a huge innovation for yeah. uh, it, just the whole maintenance side of it well and and you, you really have to dive into I, I let's take this into the weeds just a little bit i mean when you think about um okay i want to get kegs that uh well i want to save money on the kegs i'm going to purchase for my brewery and so let's just get the the I'm just going to assume. I have no idea what uh, spears cost and whether you're more expensive or not. But let's just say, oh, I want to I want to use a competitive uh, spear in my keg and save some money. But ultimately, that's going to cost me time in the long run and 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 concern because they don't have the micromatic name and the backing and and the um, and all that stuff too. So th- there there is a cost. Uh, kind of when you put all this stuff together. So it, for me and the experiences I've had, it really pays in time and therefore money to have some of the, just a simple thing like color coding. I mean, for, yeah. for goodness sake, that, that was just uh, revolutionary, but it's just, they're just colors on rubber. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. It was just, yep. So given that, what are some other innovations that Micromatic is known for in, in, in like leading this draft industry to the modern era? Human beings have used the power of storytelling for millennia. We use stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to lead better lives. If you're a business in the beer industry, we can use the power of story to better serve your customers. At Mountain Sea Media, I help you tell your story and keep your brand on top of mind. Mountain Sea Media is your resource for engaging multimedia beer content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to discuss your next project. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Well, uh, I don't want to really sound arrogant, but but in the chair that I sit in, it, it's been an unbelievable uh, ride for me in, you know, 30-some years because uh, – in the time that I've been the technical director, Micromatic has pretty much given me free reign to, uh, as long as science would support, uh, you know, the findings of, of a product, they've allowed me to, you know, bring those products to market. And, and let's face it, one of the nice things about being the 800-pound gorilla in any industry is you, you can you can do some things uh, and force some products into the market, uh, you know, just because 
you're the big guy, right? Like, I mean, uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, stainless steel, believe it or not, uh, you know, in our industry still today, um, a lot of manufacturers don't make beer dispensing equipment out of stainless steel parts. <laughs> uh, we, 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 to almost 20 years ago now, I guess 2002, we moved to all stainless steel beer contact parts in everything uh, on our glycol systems. I mean, that was crazy back then. To be honest with you, we, we didn't even tell people we did it uh, because we were afraid it was would be associated with too expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So, hey, we're making it out of stainless now. Yes, well, everybody, you know, would think, hey, stainless is more expensive. Oh, geez, you know, that must mean Micromatic's way more expensive than everybody else. So, uh, but, I mean, tubings, I mean, Today, uh, I'll tell you, Jeremy, that there's no doubt in my mind that, that the draft beer uh, industry, the draft beer that's served today is dramatically better than when I started. Uh, and it's because of innovation, right? The tubings that we use today, uh, Micromatic was the first first company to bring barrier tubing to commercial, uh, you know, commercial existence basically if you buy tubing from us 20 years ago for a beer system hey i'm talking about a long draw beer system you get barrier tubing whether you want it or not Uh, and barrier tubing uh you know creates a much better environment for the beer in the tube Uh, and then just recently just expanding even on that we've now got uh, the world's first barrier tube that has an actual oxygen barrier in it oh wow Uh, so an oxygen barrier doesn't allow oxygen to permeate the tube, which it's hard for bacteria to grow if it doesn't have oxygen. So uh, you've created a tube that, that basically is, you know, I, I don't want to say it, but it, it just gives you supreme quality. It's a, it's a perfect place for beer to sit. You know, and and do, I have, do I have this correct? Uh, my understanding is, like, let's just take a, a, a an ordinary... Uh, faucet from which you pull beer and pull a tap handle and all that stuff. A, yep. a stainless steel uh, faucet will be more expensive, but it will last virtually forever without any problem as long as you maintain it, clean it as you should. But the other ones, um, the cheaper ones, are basically brass coated in uh, nickel. Is that right? Uh, chrome. Chrome, excuse chrome. me. They're, they're so, chrome plated yeah. brass, but eventually, when, not if, but when that uh, chrome uh, wears off and the brass is exposed, then you can start getting more issues and um, off flavor components getting into the beer and will eventually need to be replaced uh, once again with, uh, it, they just don't last very long. And so in the long run, you're going to end up paying more um, from from my perspective. Do I, is that, is yes, this kind of absolutely. the same thing you're talking about? It absolutely is, Jeremy. So what you, what what happens with a Let's just call it a chrome-plated brass faucet. So the, the, the chemicals that we use to – the chemicals that we should be using to clean your beer line properly, uh, caustic soda, okay? Caustic will eat chrome. So, so basically, the minute that you start to clean the faucet, you're removing parts of the faucet, which is the chrome plating. The other thing is a properly maintained beer faucet should be you know, taken off every 14 days, disassembled, and brush cleaned. Well, guess what? If you're brush cleaning it, you're rubbing the inside surface, which means mm-hmm. you're also going to rub off that chrome plating eventually. But 
the bigger the bigger problem yes off taste is is a problem there's no doubt but brass is a soft metal it's also a porous metal so what happens is when you get down to bare brass excuse me geez when you get down to bare brass now you've created a virtual place for bacteria to, to hold on to and begin to grow so it's just like this perpetuating you know problem that keeps coming back now the stuff has a place to hold on to has a place to grow uh, and that's exactly what it'll do keep in mind a beer system we use what's called a free flow faucet by the way that faucet with the style of faucet we use the free flow faucet still today was patented back in the 1930s so uh, we, we're still using the same styles of faucets today that were patented back in the 1930s, but it's a great piece of gear, um, and uh, it's a very simple piece of gear to repair and maintain. But keep in mind, that's the only part of a beer system that is exposed to oxygen, Yeah. right? So the yeah. faucet is an open body where oxygen can get in there. It's the dirtiest part of the system. There's no question about it. Yeah. And, and if I've, if I remember this right, there are 11 pieces to an ordinary faucet. It's very easy to take apart. It's very easy to clean. Um, I'm impressed that uh, it's the same design as from the 1930s because they hit that one out of the park when they designed that it, it's perfect. No doubt about it. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, Jeremy, a funny story. We, we looked at redesigning the faucet. I'm sure you, you've seen some of our competitors have what we call forward ceiling faucets. And anyways, back, I'm going to say maybe 15 years ago, 18 years ago, we looked at this faucet and we said, hey, let's let's design a better mousetrap. Yeah. Uh, and we couldn't. We, we tried and tried. We did redesign it, but we left all the internal parts the same uh, and just made it look different and then obviously switched to stainless steel. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's a great faucet, and it's super easy to take care of and maintain. So, I guess if you you know if you have something that's good, maybe maybe you don't need to change it always. Ah, the value of tradition. Exactly. Right? exactly. Um, so, kind of on the same lines that we're talking about, um, uh, can we talk a little bit more about some of the common dangers or common issues that um, that people will? Uh, find. I mean, we've talked about well, brass is much cheaper, and just if, as a as an owner who's just writing check after check after check, I would imagine that that's just really enticing. Like, oh, let's just get the cheaper ones; they'll be fine. Um, in the long run, you'll end up paying more. So, uh, those are some of the issues, even some of the dangers that we talked about: uh, spears not being well maintained and stuff like that. What are some of the uh, common uh, red flags that you see from your perspective in the beer world? Yeah, so I mean, again, I don't want to talk negative about anything, but but traditionally, um, draft beer uh, is the orphan stepchild, right? So um, the biggest pitfalls, the biggest problems that I see, um, one is systems not being designed properly. Hmm. So you're you're in trouble from the beginning, right? It, it, one of the questions. Uh, that I ask frequently, I'm on the uh, Micromatic Tech Support uh, line, and one of the frequent questions I ask is, did it ever work? Has your, <laughs> your system ever worked, right? Good question. Because, you know, if I'm the sixth guy in line that they, they finally figure out uh, to call Micromatic for, you know, for service or help, well, sometimes you, you can't fix something that's broken from the start, right? Yeah. So, um, so, so system design is, is definitely a problem. And then, 
uh, honestly, Jeremy, the, the number one thing that, that continuously comes to light is just lack of maintenance um, or, in this case, mostly line cleaning. So, uh, you know, that that's that's where we that's kind of the foundation of where most of our problems come from in, in the industry is just either poor system design uh, or poor maintenance or non-existent maintenance. Okay. So assuming all things being equal, assuming that the system is, is done as it ought to be, then just people not taking care of their stuff. Absolutely. That's, right. that's by far, by far the biggest issue. And, and again, again, remember I said that just a second ago, that draft beer is often considered the orphan stepchild. And, and um, I, I say that because it, sometimes the rules uh, that, that people have to play by are different, so much different that in 37 states, the beer distributors are responsible for cleaning. Uh, and then the rest of the states, uh, the individual owner is responsible for mm. maintenance. So you have to... Um, Sometimes we have to play by a different set of tools, just just or a different box of tools, just based on where your establishment is. Um, it, well, and and along with that, uh, um, properly maintaining stuff. You know, eventually we'll talk about cleaning in just a minute. But uh, I, yep, I've yep. I've grown very very fond of those bars and tap rooms and breweries that actually list for all to see the last time the system was cleaned. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I don't really pay that close attention to the date. I just pay attention to the fact that they are putting that out there for all to see and basically um, holding themselves accountable to make sure it's done uh, often enough because, uh, and I'm sure you have some horror stories, but I've definitely seen places that haven't, that you know, maybe they'll uh, have their lines cleaned maybe once a month because you know, uh, you know that's good enough. Um, or they will uh, they will put on a pale saison right after they took off that uh, barrel aged imperial stout and wonder, God, this this beer sucks, <laughs> and and, <laughs> yeah. um, and just can't understand why it, why it's not tasting like the the salesperson said it would. Um, do you have any other uh, you know? Uh, common uh, uh problems but uh horror stories to kind of share along those lines no i mean um you know similar to what what your your thought process is there is that you know if, if you have an establishment that does take care of the beer um i'll give you an example i won't name any names but but in the town that i live in we have uh a bar on one side of the town that that has you know 24 draft beer lines, uh, a lot of variety, uh, but don't really take care of. I wouldn't say you know from a cleaning perspective in Illinois the law says you have to do it every 14 days. So they're all getting their lines clean, but is it being done properly? Is oh it, yeah. You know, and, and then on the other side of town we have um, a establishment that has 24 beers on tap that. Uh, you know, they're a true, they consider themselves, the owner considers himself a publican, right? So he is, he is a person that, you know, takes care of the beer religiously, makes sure that his lines are cleaned every uh, 14 days, you know, writes it on a chalkboard. When you come in, you see the beer list and on the bottom says our clean, our lines were cleaned here. Um, and conversely, the, the, the one bar, the first bar we discussed, they sell one-tenth as much beer it can even be the same products uh but the difference is 
one person takes care of it and is, and is religious, the right gas, the right temperature, you know, making sure that his cooler is organized and he has a list up there of the next kegs coming on tap. The other person is kind of haphazard, you know, whatever. And, and it, it, you can see in the sales, it, it results in yeah. that. So, and, and I love know, that. I, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Forgive it's me. okay. No, no, you're okay. But it, it just, you know, the, the difference is there. If it's in the front of, of mind, it's always something that's going to be taken care of, right? So when you get those those special kind of places, and I'm sure you know where you can drink beer, you know, by your by your, you know, wherever you live, uh, and and there's a reason why. Yeah. It's not just because it's a cool place or you like the person. It's typically because the beer's better. Why? Well, that's what we're talking about right now. But so chances are, it's going to be related to cleaning and maintenance. And and that's one of the things that I love is that the the average beer drinker doesn't have to become a Cicerone. They don't have to become a beer judge or draft trained. They don't have to know why they like or dislike the beer. That doesn't really matter at all. They just have to know that they like it or they don't. And if they don't like that beer, I mean, everyone knows uh, uh, someone or has heard those stories of like, yeah, the beer just doesn't taste right uh, at that place, so I don't go there anymore. I mean, how many times have we heard a story that uh, kind of along those lines? Um, but but it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I try to follow the, uh, the old adage of do it right or do it twice. But uh, when it comes to bars and tap rooms, it's kind of like you need to do it right because uh, you may not get to do it twice. Um, exactly. And the, the people will find their favorite place and, and a, having a personality, having a neat environment, it, that that's cool and all. You might get a second chance with that, but if the yep. beer's not good, the beer's not good. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. And, it, and, you, and that even carries over. I would, I would say, Jeremy, that that even carries over to uh, from the, on the brewing side as well. You, you, you might be able to have, uh, you know, the coolest place with the nicest building. and But if you don't make good beer, guess what? You're, you're probably not going to make it. There's there's just too many now. There's yeah. just too many breweries, right? So, so it's a combination of that for sure. I mean, you have to make good product before we can dispense good product, right? But then all of that has to be tied together. We have to take care of the beer, right? So I had a brewer, again, I'm not going to mention any names, but I had a brewer from a major, major craft brewery one time that I had in one of my classes that told me, he said, Tom, I know the beer that I make, uh, that I put in that vessel is not the same beer that comes out that faucet over there. Yeah. I need to understand why. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's a, that's a crazy situation if you think about it. Yeah. And basically the, the scenario that you and I both are describing, uh, describing are, are basically for me, um, I call them the tourist traps where the business knows they're going to have a ton of business that will probably likely not be repeated anyway. So they're, you know, maybe they're intentionally cutting corners or maybe they're thinking they can cut corners. Um, I, I remember uh, one of the worst meals I had w- was in Italy, just down from uh, the the Tower of Pisa, and it was a total tourist trap. And it was just like, oh, this is awful. Uh, but they they knew that you know most people are not coming back there anyway, so why do they care? Um, exactly, but, you're exactly right. Yep. Yep. So we need to do better. So um, uh, so yeah, uh, these are fantastic segues. So you mentioned the number one problem is either a system not being built right or just maintaining it. Let's dive further into the weeds in maintaining a system. Um, uh, Just because, you know, studying 
draft systems um, for for my needs. You know, of course, you know when you're pouring a beer, if it's foamy, it could be too cold. If it's foamy, it could be too warm. There's if it's foamy, it could be yeah. this. It, it's like there's a million reasons why this one problem could occur, um, and it is such a delicate thing. Even on a, a short draw, just a simple short draw system, um, there's so many moving parts. There's so many. Uh, so so much physics and math that goes into this that um, a simple solution can actually cause a worse result. Um, what are some of the common issues that are easily solvable by uh, someone in a tap room or or a bar? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, there, Jeremy. So here here's the thing. So. The number one issue, the number one service call in the field by far, any draft technician will tell you this, whether it be a long draw system or a direct draw system, the number one issue with draft beer is temperature. Okay, so temperature, 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 that's what we teach in, in our programs. Um, and basically, uh, there's a physics law that says for every one degree, that you increase the temperature of beer, which really not the beer, it's the gas in the beer, but let's just say for every one degree that we increase the temperature of the beer, we increase the pressure by a half a pound. Okay. So the way that Jeremy in the, in the on the back end, the way that a beer system is designed is we have to match whatever the pressure in the keg is we have to match that in resistance in the line. So the way that we do that is by using the different different sizes of tube. So for instance, let's just take a keg of whatever, generic Joe's Pale Ale uh, that's sitting, by the way, we talked about temperature. So we what we're looking for is 36 to 38 degrees. Okay, that's where beer, the gas that's in beer, which is CO2, is stable, but it can be taken out. Okay, so in the process of pouring, we're going to knock the carbonation or some of the carbonation out to give us that appealing, creamy head on top of a beer. So basically, when we store beer, if we store beer at 36 or 38 degrees in a direct draw system, uh, Joe's Pale Ale, let's say they're carbonating to 2.6 volumes, uh, that's going to equate to at 36 to 38 degrees that's going to equate to somewhere around 12 to 13 pounds worth of co2 dissolved in it Mm. okay so based on what i just told you if we're going to design a beer system we're going to design a series of tubes uh or a tube that gives us 13 pounds worth of resistance now based on the physics formula I just told you why temperature creates so many problems is that fixed amount of resistance is there all the time. We can't change it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the minute that my beer warms up, all of a sudden we're creating more pressure. We, we now have gas breaking out of solution in the keg. We also have it breaking out of solution in the line and gas is obviously lighter than liquid, it's going to travel to the highest point. If you think about a draft beer system, a direct draw system, your tower or your faucet is going to be the highest point. So guess what? Now, as the gas breaks out, travels up the line, starts accumulating in the shank right behind the faucet. Mm -hmm. And then when you open it, 
think about the faucet as a giant pressure valve because that's really what it is. Uh, you're, as soon as you open it, that gas is going to rush out faster than the liquid and you're going to have foam. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the temperature is definitely the root of most service calls. Now, on the lines of temperature, if we talk about a long draw system now, long draw means that my tower is no longer sitting on top of my keg. It can be 100 or 300 or 500 feet away or 20 feet away. That's a long draw system. So the same exact sit uh the same exact situation happens in a long draw system except now we add in some other equipment maybe a glycol chiller um the glycol chiller its only job is to maintain the beer temperature from the cooler to the faucet so obviously if there's problems in dispensing foamy beer we go back to the same thing temperature so now we take temperature in the cooler is it correct Temperature at the faucet, is it correct? If those two things are correct, then we have a whole nother box of tools we have to dig into to figure out why our beer is foamy, right? But temperature is always where we start. And this is where I, I do find this quite a bit fascinating because you have to have a at least a good or basic understanding of gas laws and, and, you know, and, 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 and I'm a diver, so I've, I've spent a little bit of time with that and I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. Um, uh, but understanding, you know, how temperature affects all that. And, uh, uh, and so the, the, the problem they're in, and I've definitely been guilty of this where, oh, this is pouring pretty foamy. Oh, uh, the carbonation's too high. Just go back the gas off a little bit and, and perch yeah. the keg a little bit. And, 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 you know, Hey, now, now it's, you know, pouring quite nice. And then tomorrow the next bartender's thinking, oh, what, what's wrong with this beer? Um, <laughs> and Same. so it, it's a, there's a, it's a very, even a simple, you know, keg to hose to tap is, is, can be a, a complicated system with a bunch of physics and math. And, and so what advice do you have for, for on-premise uh, workers, owners who are tempted to fiddle with it <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and try to fix it uh, as best they can just to get the beer flowing? Man. Yeah. So my advice would be never, never touch of the beer system. And again, I'm going to go back to the same thing I, I said earlier is, is we have to ask the question, did it ever work? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if I installed a beer system for you at Jeremy's bar, uh, in the first day that you, you opened up that beer system poured like a dream. Okay. And for the next six months, it worked perfectly. Now, all of a sudden it's not working. And then obviously something is wrong, right? Because if it's ever worked, if we design the beer system properly to, and by the way, how do we know if a beer system's uh, designed properly? It's very simple. Again, we go back to physics. A beer system that is in balance flows at a rate of two ounces a second. Okay. So if we design our restriction right and our pressure is applied right and all of the other physics that come into play, we know our beer system is functioning properly if we open that faucet and it flows at a rate of two ounces a second. Now, there's even some physics involved there. Why, why is that so important? The answer is, is because at a flow rate of a gallon a minute or two ounces a second, 
that beer will flow into a glass, start to spin around in the bottom, and release carbonation. Okay, so at that flow rate or at that rate of flow, uh, we can break the gas out that's in suspension in the glass and give us that perfect on a let's say a 16 ounce shaker pint. Uh, shaker pint we can get that perfect three quarters of an inch of foam at the top if we slow the beer down in other words we have too much restriction or too little pressure now we get what looks like a beautiful 16 ounce glass of apple juice right we don't yeah. get any <laughs> any 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 carbonation and then obviously this is something else you have to think about too is if if you don't release the carbonation in the pouring process guess what happens when the customer consumes it it comes out somewhere else it comes out in their stomach right mm -hmm. so uh they obviously will drink less they get full fast they don't order appetizers yeah, things I like that i feel bloated so, yeah absolutely so um the whole i guess back to your original question is look if the system has ever worked properly and now all of a sudden it doesn't don't start playing with things. It, hmm. If you start changing pressure, what's going to happen is it's it's the it's the opposite of the the situation that you just explained. The beer is running fast and foamy, so everybody and their brother goes down there and tries to turn the pressure down. Believe it or not, that's actually the opposite of what you should do. If you're going to mess with it, which you should never do it, you should turn it up, because what happens is again with warm beer. What happens is as the temperature goes up, the pressure increases. So now, again, you have an out-of-balance situation. You have more pressure in the keg than your regulator is applying. You're out of balance, and by turning it down, you're actually making it more out of balance, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. the physics formula says a half a pound per degree of temperature increase so if you wanted to keep the gas in suspension in the keg you'd actually have to turn up the pressure okay but that's not going to fix your problem because remember a beer system is designed with a certain amount of resistance and that's a permanent situation so you can't even if you did turn the pressure up you have no way to increase the resistance in the system yeah because that's right? a that's a fixed uh, variable that's a fixed variable, right? So when we designed it six months ago, in this case, in this example, we designed this the exact amount of, of restriction into the system as we're applying to the keg. So you can't change that. And now, so there is an exception. There is an exception to that rule, and that is now in in a lot of home brewers, maybe even yourself, are using flow control faucets, and what a flow control faucet does is allow you to add resistance at the point of dispense right by turning a knob so you could in this case if you were if you were delivered a warm keg of beer and you had a flow control faucet what you could do is turn the pressure up to the keg which by the way remember i said <laughs> don't ever mess with it right but you could in 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 theory you could turn the pressure up you know three four pounds and then adjust the fast flow by turning the restriction in the faucet down. However, what happens, Jeremy, is like you said, 
overnight when my keg cools back off, now that extra CO2 that you put onto or the extra gas that you applied to the keg gets absorbed into the product and now you have an overcarbonated barrel that there's no coming back from. And and that's one of the questions I have is as we're trying to create this system for this particular beer or beer style that has this particular uh, volumes of CO2 as as its you know norm. Um, but what happens if we have the system that is fixed for the most part? What happens if we try a different beer that has uh, a different uh, volumes of CO2 uh, uh, standard? Um, how how do we accommodate that? You know, that's a great question. And my answer uh, is going to be very simple to you is we try when we design a system, we try to do the best that we can to accommodate all the different styles of beer. Okay. And what I mean by that is, look, I am a huge advocate and Micromatic is a huge advocate of dispensing beer on mixed gas. Okay. But just to expand on that, mixed gas is only the medium to get us to high pressure. High pressure is the real secret to dispensing beer. And when I say high pressure, I'm talking about 20 to 25 pounds of applied pressure. Okay. So, the, so what we would do in a case like this is when we set up your, your beer system, when we design your beer system, uh, all your ales and lockers would go into a specific pressure range and we would apply mixed gas to that to try and keep them around a certain level. Let's say we design all of your um, restriction and all of your blended gas to pressurize the keg, let's say to 25 pounds, and that would give you 2.6 volumes of CO2. Now let's say that you put on a porter that only has 2.2 volumes. What then you would do is and I would never recommend you do this, by the way, but what, what you can do is you could turn that pressure. Let's say we have your restriction in your system set at 25 pounds. What we could do is turn the, the restrict or the pressure down to that specific line, maybe down to 22 or 20 pounds so that it would flow slower, but it's already a low CO2 beer, which is probably not going to deliver much agitation or much you know, head in the glass. So, but you would still be able to deliver now 2.2 volumes to that, to that product. Um, if you really, you know, if you really wanted to get nitpicky about, you know, exactly maintaining 2.2 volumes, but the other side of that is, and again, we're digging in the weeds here, but this is good stuff. If you took that 2.2 beer and you put it on tap, uh, and you applied the standard gas blend and you pressurized it to 25 pounds, uh, it would take quite a bit of time for that beer to be on tap before someone would be able to uh, actually tell the difference. Gotcha. But it, in it, the CO2 volume. But it seems to me, given the complexity of these systems and given the. Um, you know, the kind of flavor taint that you can get in some lines, you know, like I said, going from like a barrel-aged imperial stout to a Saison uh, uh, example earlier. It seems to me that if if uh, I were uh, setting up a tap room that I ought to have 
uh, a a regulator at every line so I can dial it in. And I ought to have, uh, this is my Pilsner line that will only have Pilsners or light beers. This will be my IPA line. This will be my uh, Porter line or my dark beer line. This will be my light uh, Belgian line. This will be my dark Belgian line. Uh, would do you uh, do you advise people set their systems up along those lines? Yeah. So I mean, ideally, Jeremy, if you're really a, if you're a beer geek and and you really understand beer at that level, then and that's something that you could, you know, you could physically maintain. Then absolutely, I would, however, recommend to you to have a secondary regulator on every line we we design every beer system that way okay because it allows you to remember that secondary regulator that's the one that goes to each individual keg that's the only way that you can control flow it's also the only way that you can maintain carbonation Hmm. so if you're using one regulator on let's say four brands well guess what you're going to get whatever you get yeah you turn it you turn it down to accommodate beer a beer brand a and then beer brand c gets that same gas, whether it needs it or not, right? So yes, you do have flexibility with secondary regulators. However, it's, you know, the typical, in my experience, doing this for a long time and also owning my own installation and service business, the typical retailer, the typical publican, the the typical bar owner is not going to go to that level. So what, what we would do, again, is design them a beer system that gives us the best swath across the middle let's say okay so think about it if if he's going to have 10 beers on tap and he's going to have you know four domestic you know whatever six craft beers we want to go you know somewhere in that 2.5 to 2.6 volume co2 volume range and and to be honest with you that's probably going to take care of everything and to the point where okay if he has brand x on tap for three weeks okay maybe somebody might be able to tell a difference in the co2 you know volume from the very first day that they tapped it until three weeks later but let's also be real do you really want a beer on tap for three weeks <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah uh so, yeah if you uh if you were experimenting with a uh, belgian triple and it it didn't go right well you know that's exactly yeah. hey good yeah. good for you for trying but you know yeah maybe yeah, next time exactly exactly and and there let's just again we're we're touching on a lot of stuff here but but this is good information if you yeah. if you go to big retailers like there are some um you know um that that do set coolers up that way so um you know they they would say okay before they will buy a brand you have to be able to either the wholesaler or the brewer has to be able to tell them the co2 volumes and they have the coolers set up so that okay brand x is 2.5 that goes in section a of the cooler they have 10 lines that can accommodate 2.5 volume beers mm, great. Uh, but but you but you also have to remember they have 125 beers on tap so they know that beer is going to sit right if it, if you know there's there's no way they're going to sell 125 kegs uh you know in a week so they're tailoring the blend of gas exactly for the style and CO2 volume of the beer because there's a good chance maybe it won't 
you know, sell in a reasonable amount of time. So if we had it on the wrong gas, it would change it, you know, for a long, over a long period of time. I, I'm just relying on the hope that those uh, bars and restaurants, especially those chains that do have 100, 150 and more taps, that they have dedicated, trained draft techs that are on call for any situation, because that just seems yeah. like a it could be a nightmare in in yeah. seconds. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and, and, it, and it certainly can be. You're right. So um, the other thing I want to get into uh, is you guys, you mentioned this earlier, is that you actually offer education. Um, what what type, tell me about the education that Micromatic offers. Because I mean, this is, this is intense. This is, uh, this is yeah. daunting. If, if I'm just trying to open up a little local bar, I mean, come on, I don't have time to learn all this stuff, but I mean. Right, exactly. So, well, I, I think, yeah, so I, I said this, I say this to a lot of people. So look, if I'm opening up a bar restaurant or I'll use my own business as an example, the, when I opened the, and ran a, an installation and service business for 27 years, I didn't know every single thing about every facet of that business. Uh, but I sure knew enough to, to be dangerous. So I knew I could go to write somebody a check if I had to out of the accounting department. And I, I didn't, you know, but I didn't know everything about everything, but I think as a business owner, you owe it to yourself to have a good understanding. Think about this. Draft beer is the most profitable thing in in almost every bar restaurant, right? Yeah. So, and it's also, I say this to people every day in my career in 30 years, draft beer is like this magic little black box that hardly anybody wants to open the box and look inside there because they don't know anything about it. Right. So um, it's a great segue to talking about education. So, um, yeah. So when when Micromatic bought the companies here in the U.S., um, I was a strong proponent of this. And and Micromatic was very much aligned with this because draft beer had been on a very steady decline in the U.S. for quite some time. Right. Um, So. What we did was we put our money where our mouth is. We created four state-of-the-art training centers to the tune of uh, we invested almost a million dollars creating four state-of-the-art training centers, again, located in all of our distribution facilities. Um, And what it is, it's, it's basically draft beer from A to Z. So you come in, we start out with the keg package, and we finish the last day on line cleaning and then everything in between there. So we talk about system design. We talk about gases. We talk about uh, restriction, all of those things. Um, and then um, we tie all them together by actually handing you all the equipment and saying, okay, now that you've learned about all these things, now you have to build it yourself. Wow. So you actually, in those classes, you actually work with live beer. You build a, a direct draw system and you build a long draw system. And we give you certain parameters that it has to, you know, flow rates that it has to run at. And then once you get it working perfectly, then the next day you come in and all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. So we've gone the little beer gremlins <laughs> and came in overnight and made it so that you now have to go through the troubleshooting steps and figure out what went wrong. So not only do we teach you about how to, you know, all the beer physics, but we put our money where our mouth is and we make you now 
once you've learned all of those things and built the ideal perfectly working beer system, now you have to go back and figure out all those problems. So uh, whether you're a draft technician, a bar owner, a brewer, whoever, someone that's touching draft beer, there's something for everyone in that program. And, and uh, I'm happy to say that um, in the last uh, 25 years, we've touched over 30,000 people with those programs in the U.S. So that's uh, been tremendously successful. Their classes are every other week in one of our facilities in the U.S., um, and we're booked for months in advance. And and that sounds incredible. And what what a what a great gift of knowledge to share. That I mean, people could go out there and 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 solve the myriad problems that exist out there. But my question is, what, what if I'm a bar owner, bar manager, bre- uh, bartender, server, brewer, whatever, whatever I am? Let's just say I'm one of those things. And I don't have a week uh, to go out and take this class to become a master of draft systems. What resources are available to me to learn how to solve 80% of all of those little gremlins that end up in my draft system uh, without having to rebuild the whole thing? Great stuff, Jeremy. Great segue. So, yeah, so what you what you can do is um, uh, we have some fantastic education resources on our website. Um if you go on to micromatic.com and you go and look for the resources tab and then you'll find an education tab and there's videos on there, there's articles, there's all kinds of stuff uh, pertaining to draft beer dispense. So if you have a temperature problem, you can go on there and find an article about some of the things we talked about with, you know, gas pressures. And uh, if you, if you want to understand CO2 volumes, uh, there's a ton of stuff on there. Um, that that uh, in, is written in layman's terms. There's videos. Um, so you and I talked about uh, cleaning a little bit. There's a fantastic mm-hmm. uh, animated video on there about how to clean your lines properly. Um, so there's a there's a fantastic wealth of of information on the website that's available to anybody who wants to click up there and find the education tab and and uh, off you go. Well, and I, I mean, I'm pretty confident that you and I could keep talking about this, uh, especially if we're willing to dive into the weeds. Um, but for the sake of the overview, um, I'm going to cap that conversation off there just because, uh, you know, th- th- well, there's a lot to know. And 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 so um, especially as I've studied through different levels of uh, Cicerone, I have to know this stuff, even if I don't put my hands on you know, building a draft system or maintaining a draft system, just understanding the principles is, is, is paramount. So it's nice to have that those, those things are there just to most important, be aware of what you're not aware of, um, and then go from there. But for the sake of, uh, capping this off and, and, uh, not taking too much of your time. Um, so Tom, uh, tomorrow you get to be king of the beer world for a day. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, yes. It's it's a great honor. You won the lottery. Uh, so tomorrow is your day to be king of the beer world. What is the nice. first thing you'd like to change about the beer world? The first thing would be easy. Um, somehow uh, we need to communicate better about line cleaning practices. If I'm the king of if I'm the king of the draft beer industry, uh, the number one problem is definitely line cleaning. So somehow we need to get more awareness of the proper way to clean lines out in the marketplace. 
uh, that's biggest great. Problem. That's great. Biggest problem we face, no doubt about it. And uh, and do you have that resource on Micromatic? We do. We do. If, there, if you go into the education tab and and uh, you click, there's a fantastic animated video we put together some years ago that literally shows uh, how to hook up, how to recirculate cleaning solution. Uh, and it's, like I said, it's in layman's terms. It's a three-step process. Basically flush out, clean, and then rinse. Perfect. Um, so as part of your duties as king of the beer world is, uh, the, the, not tomorrow, but the following day, um, we're sending you with a contingency of people to colonize Mars and you are in charge of creating the beer infrastructure there. Um, wow. and so you're going to be, you're going to be gone from the earth for a while. What, wow. what beer, what beer style and what kind of food are you going to bring with you just to re- remind you of the homeland? Wow. That's fantastic. So uh beer style for me i'm a dark beer guy so porters uh are one of my favorite styles of beer uh so i'm definitely bringing along a keg um probably of of a porter style um yeah i think that's uh that's a long trip to mars i hope that we have good refrigeration on our on our oh it's um starship it's fantastic Good, good. So and there's a good and there's a, a good draft guy on board, board, so it it'll be well maintained. No doubt. I'm wondering if it'll make it make the trip though. I might drink it before it gets. <laughs> well, what what food would you bring uh, with that uh, porter? Well, I'm a I'm an outdoor guy, so so the barbecue grill is is my thing, and and uh, I'm uh, from the Midwest, so I'm a steak and potatoes guy. So I'd probably bring along a either. Um, one of two things, probably a big old porterhouse steak to be cooking on the grill, or else um, I love uh, good old Wisconsin brats. So it'd be one of those two things. How's that? Great. So we got uh, porter and space steak and space brats. That's perfect. Oh, man. Right. I'm telling you. <laughs> yep. I don't know how we'd light a fire in space, but I, I've got to that part. Uh, very carefully. Um, that's that's the answer. all the answer we need for that one. Um, Tom, how do you define good beer? Oh, it's easy. It's if, if it tastes good. That's it. If it's if it's fresh, good tasting beer, I mean, it will always shine. If it's crisp, clean. Uh, I mean, I, I can I can tell you, that, and and uh, I hate to say this, but it's the fact. Seventy um, percent of the beer that I buy at retail, and I travel a lot. Up until COVID, I was forty weeks a year on the road. Um, 70% of the beer I, I, I purchase draft beer. It's not good. Wow. So we got a lot of work to do out there. Yes, we do. And that's, that's really the root of this podcast and the work that I'm doing is, is, yep. you know, uh, the, the standard, uh, is not that great. We can do better and it's not that hard to do better. Yeah, um, for sure. It's not that hard. You're right. Uh, so given that, um, to kind of go even a little bit more philosophically, why does good beer matter? Why does good beer matter? That's an easy one because everybody's motivated by money. You'll sell more of it. Great. (laughs) How about that? That's great. I've, I've had lots of answers to that question on this podcast and that was probably the most pragmatic. I love it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. If we look, if retailers think about this, and I, I tell people this all the time, if, if you're in business for something other than to make money, then 
you're obviously not in the right business, right? So if, if there was something that you could do to make more money, such as sell more beer, look, it's common sense. <laughs> cool. Make uh, beer better, it'll sell. You'll sell more. Believe me. Well, and it's, and we we talked about the before too. That person that's just like, oh, I'm going to cut corners to make more money. Well, you're not going to make more that money. Doesn't work. You yeah. will. You will because you save three dollars on a faucet or whatever. But over the long term, you'll replace it four times before you finally decide that you should have bought stainless to begin with or whatever. So it, it never works out. Yeah, let's hear it for stainless. Uh, yeah. So anyone, if anyone's listening uh, to this and they want to uh, connect either, I don't know, with you or or just kind of learn more about what Micromatic offers and some, especially some of those educational classes, where can they go to connect? Micromatic.com. We, we have all of that stuff uh, on on the web. There's, like I said, there's a education tab on there, and that also will take you to the class schedule, um, The all the free stuff is is basically again you just click through there you'll find on the education tab all of the free resources but there's also a tab that says dispense institute programs and you click on that it shows you the dates we we put those dates in six eight months in advance so um like i said every other week in the u.s they're they're going on they are they do book up way in advance but gotcha they're a fantastic program well, and last thing, do you have any calls to action or any final words of wisdom to anyone listening and, and uh, is deeply uh, intrigued by this whole uh, world of draft? <laughs> no, I, I just usually end. Uh, I, don't, I don't teach the classes anymore. I, I used to for, I did hundreds and hundreds of them. But, you know, my disciples, when, when they leave that class, the last words that I say to them is go forth and make beer better. So that's what I would leave you with is, is look, it, it's not hard to do. Uh, but if you make beer better, it'll sell better. And that's better for everything. That's better for the brewer. It's better for me, the equipment manufacturer, and it's better for the consumer. So, and it's not that hard. So go forth and make beer better. How's that? That's perfect. Let's, let's end it right there. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And th- this is um, one of those areas in the beer business that, I, I don't know, maybe it's intimidating for some, but you, you uh, made the analogy before that is kind of like a box that no one really wants to peek into uh, unless they have to because the beer isn't flowing right. Um, so thank you for opening up that box and kind of demystifying this process. I mean, uh, I, I don't think it's any less complex than it started, but at least we have a better appreciation for how complex this world is. So thank you for uh, sharing that with uh, all of us. You're very welcome, Jeremy. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. Take care. I'm a firm believer that anyone who works around beer ought to learn to troubleshoot a few basic problems with draft systems. That said, I do appreciate that draft systems are complex and perhaps intimidating. I hope this episode guides you to better draft operation wherever you are. In the next episode, we take an honest look at the dangers of brewing and the health benefits of beer that we are not supposed to talk about. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. 
thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs>